Megan, a.k.a. Delilah, um, in that movie adaptation that you just saw. But um, I am the minister to single adults here at FBCSA and oversee the women's ministry. And it is so good to be with y'all this morning. Um, And so today we are in Judges. Um, And so if y'all would stand, um, I want us to read that passage together. Um, So we'll see it here on the screen. So we're in Judges chapter 16, starting in verse 17. Um, So let's read this all together. Finally, Samson shared his secret with her. My hair has never been cut, he confessed, for I was dedicated to God as a Nazarite from birth. If my head were shaved, my strength would leave me, and I would become as weak as anyone else. Delilah realized he had finally told her the truth, so she sent for the Philistine rulers. Come back one more time, she said, for he has finally told me his secret. So the Philistine rulers returned with the money in their hands. Delilah lulled Samson to sleep with his head in her lap, And then she called in a man to shave off the seven locks of his hair. In this way, she began to bring him down, and his strength left him. Then she cried out, Samson, the Philistines have come to capture you. When he woke up, he thought, I will do as before and shake myself free. But he didn't realize the Lord had left him. All right. Thank you all for being with us. You may be seated. Thank you so much, Megan, for reading the scripture with us. Um, It is so good to be with you this morning. My name is Danny Panter, one of the pastors here on staff, have the privilege of preaching in this space with you. If you're new with us today, we are thrilled that you've chosen to worship with us and come into a brand new space among a brand new people. We hope that you feel very welcome and at home here and that you will leave feeling very encouraged in your own spiritual journey and faith in Jesus. Our mission as a church family is to faithfully follow the Lord Jesus Christ and to lead all others in a joyful life with him. That's our hope and desire is to be more and more a part of what God is doing in San Antonio and in the world. And we want to increasingly live out that mission. We also do something in our church family that is pretty unique. If you're new with us, we do something that we call reverse. And reverse is a way for us to literally be on the same word of scripture Um, throughout the week, um, actually throughout a period of 13 weeks. So today we're in the book of Judges chapter 16, and we've encouraged everyone to read that passage on your own at home. And then we've encouraged you to come back and be a part of Sunday morning Bible study or small groups later on in the week to where you can talk to each other about what does this mean, how does this fit into what God is doing, and how do we apply this to our life. And then, of course, we invite you to Gather for worship with brothers and sisters um, in this space, in our our sanctuary, and then you get to hear from the preaching pastors um, what God has been teaching us throughout the week about the same passage. So Reverse allows us to literally be on the same page. There's a few announcements I also want to mention that are happening in the life of the church. Um, The first is... 
Business Bible Luncheon. The next one is April 26th. It'll feature Bianca Rhodes. She's the CEO and president of Knight Aerospace. Pretty cool. And uh, she's uh, going to share her story of faith and how she's integrated her faith in her business life. And this is really an opportunity for you um, to invite friends, family, other business people that you know and work with to hear about Jesus. You know, our mission is to introduce people to Christ and invite them to follow Jesus, and this is a very simple, meaningful, practical way to do that. So keep that on your radar. We also have something that we call our Discover class. Our Discover class is for those of you who are considering being a part of this church family. And, and so we invite you to come to Discover class. The next one is May 7th. You show up early in the morning around 8.30, and there's a, a it might not be that time. You'll have to check the website for that. But you come early. There's a, a tour of the facilities. Then you get to hear about the church, church's history. And then during lunch, you meet with myself, a senior pastor Chris and Pastor Scott. And we go over with you the mission and vision of the church and invite you um, to hear uh, more about who we are and the expectations you can have in us and, uh, and what we can have of you. So if you're new with us, considering being a part of our church family, you need to put that on your radar too. Tonight, uh, tonight we have a men's ministry catalyst event at 6 p.m. right in this space. If you are a young man, an older man, you need to be here. Uh, tonight, we are going to think about what it means to have a men's ministry in our church family, and we're going to pray together, and we would love for every single man to be here. We would love to fill this space uh, with men who want to build friendships with one another that ultimately lead to looking more and more like Jesus in all the places that we live and serve and lead. So be a part of that. That's tonight, 6 p.m., right in this Place. Lastly, we have a mission team going to Poland, flying out April 27th. We will be commissioning them next week, immediately following the worship gathering in uh, Unity Hall. So please stick around for that. It only lasts five to seven minutes, an opportunity to lay hands on that team, pray over that team, of which I will be one of them. I will be going to Poland uh, with that team. Super excited what God's going to be doing uh, through us while we serve the people there. <sighs> now we can get to Judges. If you have a hard copy of God's Word, or even a digital copy, you can go to Judges chapter 16, verses 15 through 21. I actually want to read the last verse in the book of Judges. It's Judges 21 through 25, and this verse functions as a summary for the whole book. It gives us shape uh, as to why this book was included and, and where God is headed in the remainder of that portion of the Old Testament or the Hebrew Scriptures. And that verse in chapter 21, verse 25 says this, in those days Israel had no king and everyone, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. In chapters 15 and 16, we have the story of Samson, and Samson symbolizes the worst reality of that verse that we just read. 
that he did everything that he wanted to that was right in his own eyes. He was his own king. And he was symbolic of just how far all the 12 tribes had fallen in their relationship with God. Many of them had even forgotten what their God was like, much less the covenant that they had had with them, with him. And they had given themselves over and over again to idolatry and sexual immorality, and they descended more and more into that pit that was very far, far, far away from God. And Samson is the perfect picture of the condition of Israel. Let me go ahead and begin again reading in chapter 16, verse 15. And you can follow along with me. Verse 15. Again, you all know the story. There's a lot of events that happen in Samson's life. But this one that we're landing on is kind of in the middle near the tail end of Samson's life. He's enamored by Delilah. Uh, He has a relationship with her. He's not married. She's not an Israelite. She's a Philistine. And um, the Philistines take advantage of this relationship to find Samson's weakness because Samson has been been a thorn in the side of the Philistines, which is by God's design. Um, And so she inquires of him where he gets all of his strength And finally, he relents and tells her, but this is where we pick up in that story. Then Delilah pouted, how can you tell me I love you when you don't share your secrets with me? You've made fun of me three times now, and you still haven't told me what makes you so strong. She tormented him with her nagging day after day until he was sick to death of it. Finally, Samson shared his secret with her. My hair has never been cut, he confessed, for I was dedicated to God as a Nazarite from birth. If my head were shaved, my strength would leave me, and I would become as weak as anyone else. Delilah realized he had finally told her the truth, so she sent for the Philistine rulers. Come back one more time, she said, for he has finally told me his secret. So the Philistine rulers returned with the money in their hands. Delilah lulled Samson to sleep with his head in her lap, and she called him and a man in, the man to shave off the seven locks of his hair. In this way, she began to bring him down, and his strength left him. Then she cried out, Samson, the Philistines have come to capture you. When he woke up, he thought, I will do as I've done before and shake myself free, but he didn't realize the Lord had left him. So the Philistines captured him gouged out his eyes. They took him to Gaza where he was bound with bronze chains and forced to grind grain in the prison. But before long, his hair began to grow back. We know the end of the story that they brought him out to entertain him while they were worshiping their God. And there were more, there were thousands there. And um, he prayed to God in that moment that his strength would return because he wanted to take vengeance for them gouging out his eyes. And he pushed down those pillars and killed more in that moment than he did in his entire life. I think there are some things that we can learn about Samson's life, about his character and nature that can be helpful for us. Um, We can learn first and foremost, when we reflect back on these stories about Samson, 
that even though he was familiar somewhat with his Nazarite vow, because his parents probably had retold that story to him, Samson lived very much like he did not know God at all. He lived in such a way that he did not acknowledge God or live for God or live purposely with God. Um, it's, it's as if Samson lived from day to day as if God really didn't exist. Samson did not know God. He might have heard about God. Even when we think about his parents, his parents were really not so sure about this God that had promised them this son and had bestowed upon Samson this Nazarite vow. In fact, Samson's lack of knowledge God was, was symbolic of where all the tribes of Israel had descended. Not many of them really knew this God that had rescued them out of Egypt and had made a covenant with them in the desert. Samson did not know God. The other thing that we see, especially out of this text, is that Samson put himself in compromising situations over and over and over again. In verse 16, um, it says, she tormented him with her nagging day after day until he was sick to death of it. Other translations will render it um, that he was pressed daily, uh, that he was pressed daily. He put himself in that compromising situation over and over again. And it wasn't just the story with Delilah, but he was always putting himself in a situation that could compromise himself or at least lead to some impulsive reaction or temptation. It was symptomatic of his whole life, always just finding himself in the most compromising places. One of the last qualities that I think I see in this text, and not just this text, but the whole story of Samson, is that Samson was led by his heart. Always led away by his heart. Samson was an impulsive person. He lived how he felt in the moment, which is kind of ironic because that's kind of how the world teaches us how to live now. Just do what your heart tells you to do. You can't go wrong by living according to what your heart dictates. Just do you, be yourself. Well, for Samson, that always led him into the worst possible places because his heart was never in a great place. Um, Samson was an arrogant, promiscuous, violent person given to anger all the time and to reacting in anger and frustration. Uh, he dishonored his parents. Samson, even though many of you who have grown up in church might have heard his story as a kid, he is not a person to emulate and follow. He was an impulsive person, just led by his heart. There is no point in Samson's story at any in, encounter that he had in the Philistines that that came from a place of, this is what God wants me to do, this is the plan that we're gonna move forward with, and this is how we're going to defeat the Philistines. Every encounter just came out of this impulsive anger or lust. He's led by his heart. 
And so there's a lot for us to learn from Samson. There's lessons for us to learn from Samson, that he didn't know God, that he was always putting himself in compromising situations, that Samson was just led by his own heart rather than the wisdom and ways of God. And yet, and this is important to the whole book of Judges, that Samson's life really demonstrates for us that regardless of how Samson lived his life, And how far Israel and the 12 tribes had fallen in their relationship with God because they increasingly had given themselves to idolatry and sexual immorality. In fact, at this point in Israel's history, this particular tribe was very comfortable being oppressed by the Philistines. Uh, They were very cozy with that. But what we find is that regardless of that, God is committed to fulfilling his purpose through his people, and he is committed to their righteousness. He's committed to their future. That's one of the major lessons that we learn from the book of Judges is that the the person who wrote this book wants to remind us that they were, the people of Israel were desperate for a righteous king. And God is committed to fulfilling that promise that he gave back, gave to Abraham long ago, that all the nations of the world would be blessed through this people. God was committed. Despite how Samson lived, he used Samson to become a thorn in the side of the Philistines. But here's the question I want to ask us today when we think about the nature and character of Samson. The question I want to ask is this. How do we avoid this side of Jesus becoming like Samson? How do we avoid living just by our gut, our heart, or just living impulsively? How do we avoid being shackled to our own greatest temptations and sin in our life over and over and over and over again? How do we avoid becoming like Samson? There are a few things that I think we can say for certain that we can do to avoid becoming like Samson in our life. And the first thing is this is if we are going to have victory over our worst impulses and temptations in life, we have to relentlessly pursue Jesus. We have to relentlessly pursue Jesus. Samson lived for himself and by himself. And by God's grace and the power of his spirit, he still used Samson. But that was Samson's life and heart. I will live for myself and by myself. God did not factor into his daily life until he was totally desperate in that final moment, as as far as we can tell, as far as we can tell. And so if, if Samson teaches us anything, we also are equally and totally desperate, just like Samson is. We too have the tendency just to go our own way, live by our own impulses, be shackled by our greatest temptations, and to be defeated by our own sin of temptation over and over and over again. To give in to lust and to fear and to anger. 
And we too are desperate. And much like Samson, we too can discover that God is totally committed to our righteousness. God is totally committed to our righteousness. Romans chapter five, verses six through 11 says this, when we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And since we've been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son while we were still enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because of our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. This is what Paul is saying to us, that God is so committed to our righteousness in the moment of our most desperate temptation and sin in our life that he's not willing to wait for us to get our act together. Uh, he's, not wait, he's not waiting for us to turn things around. He says, no, no, while you are still enemies, while you are still knee deep into your own sin, Paul says he sent Jesus through whom we can know forgiveness and we can have friendship with God, Paul writes. God is totally committed to your righteousness so that we won't just live for ourselves or by ourselves or living in our own wisdom or guided by our own impulses and greatest temptations, but no, so that we can orient our life around the one who's our greatest advocate. Philippians chapter three, verses eight through 10. This is Paul's response to that kind of God who doesn't wait for us to get our act together. He's like, I'm gonna do something about it now. This is what he says. He says, yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counted it all as garbage so that I could gain Jesus and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him sharing in his death so that one way or another I will experience the resurrection of the dead. This is Paul saying to us that I will relentlessly pursue Jesus at all cost because Jesus is my greatest advocate for my righteousness. Jesus has my greatest good in mind. And so if you have any hope and overcoming your worst impulses and having victory over temptation and sin in your life, I would say don't be like Samson who just lived by how he felt, pursuing his own wisdom and ways, but relentlessly pursue Jesus. He's your redeemer through whom you have forgiveness of sin and through whom you're made right with God. The second thing in answering that question, how do, we, how do we avoid being like Samson? Not only do we relentlessly pursue Jesus, but we ambitiously make plans with Jesus. We ambitiously make plans with 
Jesus. James chapter four, seven through eight says this, so humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come close to God and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. The brother of Jesus in that last statement really captures where many of us can find ourselves is that we can be like Samson. We're just living as if God doesn't exist and our loyalties are divided between God and the world. Before we know it, we're just living like everyone else rather than in the wisdom of ways by the one who's actually redeemed us. And of course, the antidote to that is resist the devil, come close to the Lord. And I would say it like this. In order for that to become a reality in our life, we must ambitiously make plans with Jesus. If we're going to have any hope of avoiding our worst impulses and to have victory over ongoing temptation and sin in our life, some of which you find yourselves entrapped in over and over again, then we have to ambitiously, intentionally strategize and make plans with Jesus how we navigate those impulses and places in our life. As much as it's up to us, we cannot leave those things to chance. We can't just wing it. Yeah, I'm sure I'll avoid that temptation today. I'll be fine. I'll be fine. I mean, whether that, that, that impulse or that sin is, is lust or anger, if you're, not, if you're not intentionally, by the grace of God, planning with Jesus how to avoid those places of where you will experience the greatest temptation, then you likely will just find yourself handing yourself over to those things over and over again. If you struggle with lust and you're not protecting what you hear with your ears and watch with your eyes, you're setting up your heart for failure. And so we, we make plans with Jesus. We say, Jesus, how do I avoid those greatest snares and places where I can in, avoid the worst possible influence, uh, impulses in my life? And we say, okay, I'm not gonna go there. I'm gonna plan to avoid that. I'm gonna invite people in my life to hold me accountable, to help me out. I'm gonna ask my spouse and my friends to identify those places that I need to avoid. Make plans with Jesus. I've been to Greece uh, a few times, and uh, Greece is one of the worst places to try to cross the road. Their traffic is horrendous. They, they act like you're not there. If you're a pedestrian, you're just walking, you're trying to cross the road, they like, it doesn't, doesn't really matter. You just, you just gotta get out of the way. But sometimes that's how we live life. When we don't plan with Jesus, it's like us trying to cross the worst possible traffic. It's a great risk because any moment you can get nailed rather than going to the crosswalk, pressing the button, and being very intentional how you navigate your pathway. If Samson had 
actually sat down and said, Lord, what do you want me to do today? How can I be your best judge of these people today? Then things might have been different for his life. And so some of the questions you want to ask as you ambitiously make plans with Jesus is this, in what ways am I planning to resist temptation? How am I planning to draw near to God? How am I planning to join him in what he is doing? And if we don't plan for it, then odds are none of those things will ever happen. We'll find ourselves over and over again in the worst possible scenarios where we give in to our worst possible impulses over and over and over again. You must plan with Jesus. Uh, for me, that, that means I've got to be in God's word. I, I've got to plan for that. I've got to be intentional for that. Um, and if I'm not finding time to listen by the power of God's spirit, Jesus' voice through the word of God, then over and over again, I'm going to find myself not ready for the temptation that might come in that day. I've got to plan for it, among other things. The last thing that I would encourage us to do if we're going to avoid giving into our worst possible impulses, just like Samson did, is that we must fearlessly come to Jesus. Fearlessly come to Jesus. Until Jesus comes back, if you're a follower of Jesus, until Jesus comes back, you will have moments where you drop the ball where you do give in to that worst possible impulse or temptation, where you sin. It's gonna happen to all of us. But the enemy will always want to use that to impose shame on us to stop us from growing and changing. He will do that. He will remind you, look what you just did. And we will fall hard, and in those moments when we believe that lie of shame, that we will begin to think that Jesus wants nothing to do with us, that I'm an embarrassment, that I'm a fraud. Have you ever felt that way? Gosh, I just embarrassed Jesus. I mean, I put a few good days or weeks together, then I just drop the ball. He, does not, he doesn't want me to come close to him. He doesn't want me to be near him. He doesn't want me to confess to him. He just, he's embarrassed of me. I'm a fraud. Hebrews chapter four, verses 14 through 16 says this. So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all of the same testings we do, yet did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. What is the author of Hebrews' antidote to the moments that we feel like we have failed Jesus the most? He says, can I remind you what we confess about Christ? 
that he died for our sin, that he has risen from the grave, and now he sits. He's gone through the heavens and sits at the right hand of the Father, and he is ready to receive you in your worst possible moments to receive grace and mercy. One of the things that keeps us from having victory over our worst impulses and ongoing sin in our life is that we are so reluctant to come to Jesus in those moments. We think he doesn't want us anymore. I'm just so ashamed, so embarrassed that I did it again. And Jesus says, and the author of Hebrews says, you know, you can fearlessly come to me and it's there that you receive grace and mercy. And it's in those places where we experience the grace and mercy of God that transformation takes shape in our life that we can increasingly find victory and hope over those places that can ensnare us. And so if we are to avoid our worst impulses and temptation and sin in our life, we have to relentlessly pursue the Jesus who's redeemed us. We have to say, Lord, I want all of my life to revolve around all of you and who you are Who else better to pursue in your life than the one who is your greatest advocate for your good? No one is your greatest advocate for your righteousness and good than Jesus. Will you pursue him? Will you ambitiously make plans with Jesus to avoid those biggest pitfalls in your life? Again, whether it's Anger or lust or fear or deceit? What are those places where you find the greatest temptation, the greatest impulse to give into? And you make plans with Jesus to avoid those places, to equip you to go to battle against them when they show up. And lastly, when you do fall, an occasion you will, will you feel fearlessly? Come to Jesus and experience his grace and mercy in a brand new way. The proverbist wrote, the righteous person stumbles seven times and gets back up every single time. We can do that because of what Christ has done on our behalf in the cross and the resurrection. Can I ask you a question? Do you belong to that kind of Jesus? Is is your life a life of faith in Jesus? The gospel beckons you. If you say no, I my I don't my life is just just ensnared to sin. I don't I don't I don't belong to that kind of Jesus. The offer of the gospel is will you put your faith in Jesus and follow him? Will you taste forgiveness and reconciliation with God? We're gonna move into a time of response in just a moment, and we want to invite you, for those of you who have never put your faith in Jesus, to put your faith in Jesus for the very first time. 
uh, to trust him for the forgiveness of sin so that you can have the freedom to live for him rather than shackled by sin and your worst possible impulses. So that you can know his goodness and grace in your life. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for Jesus who died on the cross and rose from the grave so that we can taste forgiveness and victory. And so, Father, for the person who's never followed your son, Jesus, Lord, I pray that you give them faith right now to trust and follow your son. And, Lord, I pray for the believer, the one who does know your son, Jesus, but, Lord, has found themselves ensnared in the same places over and over again. Lord, help them in a brand new way pursue your son Jesus relentlessly to make plans with him. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for joining us here at First Baptist Church of San Antonio, whether online or on broadcast, in your homes or wherever you may be. We want you to know that you are more than welcome to be a part of the life of this church and we want you to know that we want you to meet Jesus today. In order for this to happen regularly, we need your support, we need your prayers, and we need your financial gifts. Please continue to give and be a part of what we do today.